Second episode of the eighth season in the Tony G Show set to get going. I'm Tony G. That's Will McCormick. Hi, Will. How you doing? I'm doing good, Tony. How are you? I'd be better, uh-huh. but we messed up in the last episode. I suppose I messed up. So what happens say. is, you know, we have certain parts of the episode where we cut out. I'll mark them down. I'll edit later once the show gets going, and I'll take them out. There was one occurrence early in the episode where we took a second to clear our throats, something I intended on editing out like I do for the last 140 episodes, whatever we're at now. Uh And I was informed that it remained in. (laughs) So we put, okay, it happened early on. I edited it out. I went and re-uploaded the episode without that in there. So if you listen to it, all right, Uh you know, sorry about that. Easter egg. If you haven't listened to it, good. Forget I said that. With that being said, we're what, ready to get going. What did we, we say? Did we like laugh or something? No, it was just something where it was like an abrupt. We were like, talking. Scream. I cleared my throat. You took the second to clear your throat as well, and then we just reset and got right back into it. <laughs> so uh, classic, classic Tony G show. Um, with that being said, there's a new announcing video out on the website. SNC Women's Hockey. I did. That's out on TonyGNation.com again. And anything Tony G show, Tony G Nation. Go to TonyGNation.com. Uh, also, a bit of groundwork to set before we get into the episode the february series of tony g show interviews set to return for tony g show interviews we had december didn't do january so we're set to get going for february we got dan lucas who is a member of st norbert college faculty the athletics department he uh, does a great job for st norbert college and i'm not just saying that to say that you compare he's won awards for his work so he does a great job he'll be the first interview coming out next week the week after mike pant you remember him from when we he, – he's going to be the first person to ever have two Tony G Show interviews. Mm-hmm. He was the first, one of the first ever. Oh, he was? Yeah. I'm, there, I'm kidding. We, we did – <laughs> <laughs> I'm I joking. Okay, well, all right, whatever. Over my head. Either way, he's going to be the first person to ever come on the Tony G Show twice as a guest. You know, we've had Swanson on a couple times. Mm-hmm. But he is the first person to ever be on a formal Tony G Show episode to come on twice. He'll be doing that later this month, and we're still trying – to get a third, we got the time to do so because we're setting up these interviews so early in the month. Maybe women's hockey—they're having, they're, as of right now, they're leading the conference, high in the conference rankings. So maybe you know we've we've touched on men's hockey. We've had mm-hmm. Tim Coughlin back in October before the season started, and now that the seasons are getting set to wrap up, maybe we'll go back to hockey and get a women's hockey player, but or a coach. We'll see. Yeah, we'll reach we'll out. Try, we're definitely gonna. Try to reach out. If you know anyone that's interested, too, I mean, by all means, TonyGNation.com. Uh, Willis5312 on Twitter, but don't go to him. You're not going to get much on him anyway. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Just got to get the digs in on Will. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, yep. it's the first two episodes of the season. I haven't ripped on you in two months. Got to get it all out. I got to get it. I got to get back in my groove. <laughs> Speaking about getting back in our groove, let's set up today's show. Our episode today, let's preview a couple of interesting segments. All three of which are very opinionated. I feel like in the offseason, I just had so many thoughts and opinions on sports. And I was like, man, I wish I had the Tony G Show to talk about this platform. So I'm going to do – I'm just kind of – it's like me releasing my thoughts, thinking out loud in my opinions. I've done research on them. We, got, we have a very good show plan today. I'm very confident in our show. First segment, we got a little bit of a wordplay here. You ready for this? Tony G's top three QBs in the AFC for the next five to ten years. There is going to be an unexpected order. I have an interesting one, two, and three that you're going to want to listen to for that first segment. Then as we segue to our second, 
the surprise team that is going to get bounced from the tourney early in this year's March Madness bracket when we get there. You know, we far way out. We're not even close to conference tournament time, let alone the NCAA tournament. So I just I, I have some thoughts that I had watching college basketball last night. That's gonna be a very interesting segment. Something that I think people are gonna be shocked by. Early thought we should do a March uh, Madness bracket. Yeah, hundred percent. So I can last really season we gotta put it all out there. We've been talking about that for years. Yeah, we gotta do it. We gotta do that. We'll put that on the back burner. We're gonna come back to that come March, maybe late February. Yeah, I think March, March Madness. To end up, <laughs> we'll do it the Sweet 16. We'll make our bracket and come out with everything. No. Have halfway done with the tournament. That's too easy for you. I, I need to. A... <laughs> Whatever. I'll give you. Listen here, pal. That's the sound of me punching Will. Third segment. Most dangerous team in college football this season. And I'm not saying they're going to win a national championship. But I'm saying a team to look at, a team to watch for, a team that has some real talent and coaching. It's going to surprise you again. An episode full of surprises. Tony G's top three QBs in the AFC. Surprise team going to get bounced early from the March Madness bracket when we get there. And then the most dangerous team in college football next season. You ready, Will? Yeah, I'm ready. I mean, I just can't wait. I'm shaking. I'm so excited to get into this episode. Will McCormick, Tony G, Tony G Show. You are listening to the eighth and final season of the Tony G Show. Eight seasons of laughs, memories, and sports are coming to an end. Follow the show on Twitter at Willis5312 and at Tony G Nation. Check out more from Tony G at TonyGNation.com. Now, along with Will McCormick, here's your host, Tony G. The eighth season of the Tony G Show. This is our second episode. And I, like I said in the open, we got a good one planned. I want to get right into it. We'll start with this first segment, Tony G's top three QBs in the AFC. You didn't mention we have a we have a live studio audience today. <laughs> I guess we do. <laughs> <laughs> that is the uh, janitor of Tony G Studios, Christian, in the background. Um, doing some work, uh, technical stuff for the Tony G Show here in Tony G Studios. So thanks for being here, pal. Well, I hope it reflects on your paycheck. <laughs> what an idiot right. he is. Tony G's top threes, QBs in the AFC for the next five to ten years, you know, we're going to go look at maybe the next decade or so. And it's going to be an interesting top three. The number one or number two isn't who many people think it is. I know what you're thinking. Pat Mahomes is somewhere on this list. He's not number one. I can see the list. Okay. Well, that gives it away. Though. <laughs> He's not number one. He's not number two. Is he number three? You'll have to stick around until we get there. Number one quarterback in the AFC for the next five to ten years, starting next season. Number one quarterback that mm-hmm. I like, Joe Burrow. And I'm not just saying that after the playoffs that he's had. I'm not saying that after the whole makeup of what he's wearing and the glasses and all that. I've liked this kid, of course, since the rest of the nation found him when he went to LSU. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't some deep dive expert like, oh, this kid from Ohio State back when he was there. I didn't know who he was when he was at Ohio State. But when he got to LSU, started making that, I mean, the undefeated season for the Tigers under. Uh, Ed Ogeron, I was like, this kid's special. And then you just saw it in the way he carried himself in the postgame interviews, the s- smoking the cigars after winning the national championship, all cool and relaxed. You could see that this kid is a winner. Yeah. And that has persisted in the, into the NFL for the last two seasons. Now, he had his first year, tore his ACL, came back out of nowhere. He has to be the comeback player of the year. I'm sure there's one other candidate that I'm thinking. I think 
Ben Roethlisberger was someone that people were thinking maybe he's the comeback player of the year. Listen, this kid came back from an ACL and is taking his team to a Super Bowl. Again, it's not just because of this pl- playoff run, but it certainly plays a huge factor. Now that he has this experience, he's the most dangerous quarterback in the NFL, in the AFC, if not the NFL. He's poised, he's confident, and he's scary. He's a winner. He's got a big arm. He makes good decisions, not all the time. He's still young, so he's still picking apart defenses as a as a young sophomore, going to be junior season, if you will, third year in the NFL come next season. But he's a winner. He has this experience. He's starting to under, understand the game at this speed. And like I said, it's not just what he wears and the cigars or whatever. It's just his whole, the way he carries himself. He has that winning demeanor to him. He's, you know, when he says that he's tired of the underdog narrative in the playoffs, that tells me that he believes in himself and his team. The way a quarterback should, you know, it's the same thing Derek Carr says, I believe in these guys, I love these guys, or whatever. And it's that sort of leadership that you need, and it's almost expected in the NFL if you're going to be a professional quarterback, that you are going to have that. But the way that he says it and carries himself shows me that this kid is a winner for the next five to ten years in the NFL. AFC for sure. Now to the statistical point of Joe Burrow being the best quarterback. Here's something that I looked up. I thought, what are some stats more than just passing yards and touchdowns? Tony G does his homework. We all know this. Season 8, if you don't know it, I mean, come on now. Listen to the first seven seasons. I looked up some stats, and I found out, this is according to TeamRankings.com, that Joe Burrow is the second most efficient quarterback. The first is Aaron Rodgers. This is his second year, and he's being up there with the most efficient quarterbacks in NFL history, right behind Aaron Rodgers. The way the TeamRankings.com, if you want to get the exact numbers, Aaron Rodgers is at 110.9 efficiency rating. Joe Burrow's at 106.2. And that's that's not like QBR, is it? That's that's a different efficiency rating? It is a it, it is similar. Similar, okay. I think team, TeamRankings.com does something else to it. But it's, it's essentially the same stat. But the point being is that he's being mentioned already statistically with the top dogs of Aaron Rodgers, higher than guys like Tom Brady this year, higher than guys like, you know, that's you a, name them. That's a this year rating, so that's based on just this year? That was this season. Okay. Yeah. I don't think he could technically be eligible if it was the two-season thing because he had the ACL last right. year. Right. But even so, I mean, yeah. it's his second year, and Joe Burrow's being right. up there as one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the NFL. So what does that mean, efficient? I mean, I can, I, it's, that's one thing to say that he's an efficient quarterback. He's the second most efficient quarterback in the NFL, but what does that mean? That means all of his throws count. That means he doesn't have any wasted throws. He doesn't have any wasted plays. He doesn't turn the ball over a lot. Now, he's not someone who is never going to turn it over, is never going to throw an interception. He's not like Aaron Rodgers in that sense, but he's secure with the football. He'll fumble. He'll throw a pick. He's young still. But everything that he does, every play that he runs, counts for something towards the Bengals and their game. He's the most efficient quarterback, second most efficient quarterback in the NFL. Behind only Aaron Rodgers, who has won the MVP last year and could be either one or two in the MVP race this year. So what does that say about Joe Burrow? If he's this good in his second year in the NFL, not to mention, okay, he is as efficient as he is with one of the worst offensive lines in football. I mean, that guy absolutely gets pounded game after game after game, it seems, especially in the playoffs with this defensive line, and I think that's why... I'm not a, I'm not going to officially make a pick here cuz we still got the Super Bowl preview show coming up next week. But that's why I think early on in in prepping for the Super Bowl, that's why I think the Rams have the advantage here because they have such a dominant front seven yeah. and the Bengals 
and their offensive line allow Joe Bur- Burrow to get sacked anywhere between three and five to six times a game. They're only going to improve. They're definitely a, a, a franchise that is building. They're Correct. not. They have not reached their peak yet. Especially with the young wide receivers, tight ends, right? Uh, and now C.J. Uz- Uzoma. I can never pronounce his name. I think but that's right. He got injured in the last, so I mean, he might have some. I don't know how serious it is. He might be out for the start. But the point is, they are building Mm -hmm. a team once they start to get some offensive linemen in here. Look out, especially for this offense. Uh, More stats that I found just to kind of wrap this up. Third most net yards passing per play in the NFL with 7.2. Behind Jimmy Garoppolo and Matt Stafford, two quarterbacks that surprised me to be number one and number two. But third most net yards per pass play in the NFL. Of course, because we all know he's the, the deep play, the big play probability of going to Jamar Chase or Higgins or whoever is available 50 yards down the field. We saw it yeah. you know, when they played the Packers. We saw it in the playoffs. You know, It's something that, that the Bengals are really starting to hone into Joe Burrow's deep playability. That, all three of those teams are really reliant upon stretching the field out. That's, and this Super Bowl might be, I know we're not previewing it, but this Super Bowl might be like an air raid type of game where it's just high scoring and and fun oh, yeah. to watch. I mean, not to mention that, you know, the Cooper Cup on the other side. I right. tweeted in three postgame thoughts for that Rams 49ers NFC Championship. Cooper Cup is the type of player you want to see in the Super Bowl. He's mm-hmm. had an amazing year. Should be considered for an MVP, but of course he's not because he's not a quarterback. But, you know, that's a he's different. He's not that good. He is that good, Will. No. Well, you've seen some of the numbers he's been putting up. That's a, that's a conversation for he's a different He's not top day. one. But he, yeah, I mean, behind Devontae Adams, but he didn't put up the numbers that. Yeah. Devontae didn't put up the numbers that Cup did. That's a different... We, we should have that discussion. That'd be a good discussion. But that's my number one. Joe Burrow. Poised. Calm. Cool. Not to mention Collective. strong. Not to mention physical. Not to mention efficient. Number one quarterback in the AFC for the next five to ten years is going to be Joe Burrow. You can say all you want about Pat Mahomes. We'll get there when we get there. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, show, I'll tell you why Pat Mahomes isn't number one coming up shortly. Or number two, for that matter, because number two is not Joe Burrow, of course, who's number one. He's not Pat Mahomes, who I've been mentioning. Number two is Josh Allen. Why do I like Josh Allen more than Patrick Mahomes, you're asking? Well, let me tell you this. Josh Allen, for the year that he is in the NFL, he has this pocket presence and awareness that I've seen really start to pick up towards the back end of this season into the playoffs that is second to none. He knows that when the pocket collapses, he's got to get out, and make something happen with his legs. And he has that ability like no one else has. Pat Mahomes has that ability. We don't see it from him often because, I mean, that's just not what their offense really does. They have a better offensive line, something where the Chiefs throw the ball more, they get quick passes, they get these motion. I mean, it's just a different offense that the Chiefs run compared to the Bills. But the Bills, when that pocket collapses and Josh Allen has nowhere to go, he finds somewhere to go. That's why I put Josh Allen ahead of Patrick Mahomes. Do you think that little dip in play that the Bills had as a, as a team. I wouldn't say it was necessarily uh, Josh Allen's fault, but do you think that obviously they weren't clicking for, I think, like four games midseason there? They kind of took a little dive? or Yeah. It, speaking off the top of my head, but do you think that was uncharacteristic for Josh Allen to kind of well, have that down part of the season? That's a good question because the it, it, it does have to be mentioned that the Bills did have some games where they lost some questionable games, yeah. where they made some questionable decisions, and Josh Allen was... Wasn't the problem, but he wasn't the problem, but he was middle of the pack this season in turnovers. So it wasn't 
like he was this great Aaron Rodgers around some, you know, whatever that narrative may be. Yeah, and he, he came off MVP last year too. So yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, there, no, but. that's all right because the point is that it it should be mentioned that they do have these rough stretches of games. But the way Josh Allen plays, the what I see in his play when I watch him, like say I'm just watching him. I know there's ten other guys on the field wearing his same jersey, eleven on the opposing. When I watch just him, when I see his decision making, when I see his flexibility or or ability to move out of the pocket, not to mention the accuracy of his throws, and now he's got some great wide receivers to throw to as well. Stephon Diggs has been there for a couple seasons. I really like Josh Allen moving forward. I like him playing for Sean McDermott. I like the Buffalo Bills for the next couple years. This is a team that I think can win a Super Bowl in the next two seasons. And I guess the reason I was mentioning that is I would say that like I'm a like secondary fan of the Bills. I like if the Packers are bouncing the playoffs, I'm gonna root for the Bills. And I thought midway through the season, I was like, wow, this team is not nearly what they were last year. Yeah. And then <clears throat> coming into the playoffs, they looked a lot better. So it just to me it, it felt like they took a little bit of a dive. Um and I was a little bit worried that Josh Allen was turning out to be this quarterback that was not worth the money, kind of like um We did we had that discussion last yeah, season, I think we did. Right. So I, I was worried that it was like, oh boy, they way overpaid him for what he actually plays because he did. He has been playing great, and he had that. You know, the the Bills as an organization took a little bit of a, a couple of weird losses, like you said. Yeah. And I was just kind of doubting their ability to play like they did last year. Here's the thing with the Bills: once they start to eliminate those types of games, you know, Super Bowl teams don't lose those types of games. Yeah. Granted, the Bengals have kind of had some rough stretches. Even the Rams have had some rough stretches. So I guess it can happen, but. I think a true Super Bowl winning team that wants to establish themselves as a dynasty or a team that continues to go back-to-back-to-back seasons of deep runs in the playoffs, don't lose those types of games. I think that's something they get ironed out in the next couple seasons. Like I said, when I'm watching, when I'm just watching Josh Allen, the nature of his play is second to none, and I really do mean that. And I want to expand on this. Tony G does his homework. I brought up some stats. He knows when to run, and he knows when to throw. Out of 25 qualifying quarterbacks in the NFL this year, He tied for the third fewest sacks taken with 26. You want to know who number one was? Mike Glennon, who played six games. (laughs) Yeah, insert the Snoop Dogg who sound right here. Listen, so that technically means that he is tied second. And if you consider, you know, taking one less sack, then he'd be number one or tied for one or whatever the stats were. He was tied third for the fewest sacks taken this season. Bottom line. So he knows when to move. He knows when to run. He knows when to stay in the pocket, too. That's also what that means. He knows when to stay in the pocket and just check down, get a quick throw out, or when he can take that chance down the field. When he can find his tight end on a crossing route five yards across the line of scrimmage. You know, he knows when to make these types of throws and have these different decisions. So his decision-making, his ability, really mean this. It's second to none except Joe Burrow. Why do I say that difference? Because I like Joe Burrow's demeanor. I like his team moving forward. I think he's really going to be the best quarterback in the AFC for the next mm-hmm. few years. All this being said, I made this argument for Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, why they're number one, why they're number two, why I put them where they are. So why am I not putting Pat Mahomes up there in number one, number two territory? I think we all know at this point that Pat Mahomes is number three. I don't know. I think I've been alluding to it this whole time. I think it would be stupid not to mention him in the top three in the NFL, or especially the AFC as quarterback play. Listen, here's what puts Pat Mahomes in the top three. It's his pure talent. Okay, he can run, he can throw, he can make things happen that other quarterbacks simply can't. He has that arm angle where he can just zip a ball out from literally any angle. Three-fourths over the top, side arm, whatever it might be. I mean, I feel like he could just 
kind of like punt the ball to a receiver and it'd be like right in his hands. Because that's just what Pat Mahomes does. He extends plays. He gets out of the pocket. I mean, you see it all. the time. It's like a young Russell Wilson, but better, a stronger arm. Now, Russell Wilson has a strong arm. I'm not degrading Russell Wilson at all. But Pat Mahomes has better ability than Russell Wilson. But he, the, when the, young Russell Wilson was like a, a Patrick Mahomes. Moving out of the pocket, finding where to throw, finding angles, finding slots. You know, it's something that Pat Mahomes has really started to perfect. We see it every week. I mean, every every Chiefs game, there's a throw on Bleacher Report on Twitter or that NFL is retweeting that Pat Mahomes made this ungodly throw. Now, some of them a little dramatic. Most of them, though, yeah. quite impressive. Quite impressive throws. I, and I think he's a, he's a really good quarterback. Don't get no, me wrong. Absolutely. So what I'm about to say is not – Okay. Taking a bad position on his play, but I think the media makes him out to be this like this this quarterback that nobody's ever seen before, and it kind of sets him up to be like a little bit like un, like oh he wasn't that good though you know yeah. you know what I'm saying like it kind of he undersells it almost because the media makes him sound like he's like the next best thing since sliced bread. I just quickly to build off of what you said, there's a perfect example of where Sam Darnold made an absolutely unreal throw when he was still with the Jets, and no one circulated that throw. Yeah. Besides, like a few a, a few people who finally got some traffic over that throw. I know the the play you're talking about. Yeah, but it it was like Pat Mahomes gets all this. I mean, the guy could like no look pass. It's something Aaron Rodgers does. It's yeah. something that you know, and Sam Darnold makes it. So, so that's a great example of uh, what what you're talking about. Media, you know, overselling Pat Mahomes. That's not why I have him down at the at third in the list. I'll explain that in a second. But but that's a good point. Here's the butt. You know, he's a great quarterback, he's a talented quarterback, but, you know, he's a winning quarterback. He's been to three, four straight AFC championships, however many Super Bowls besides this year. He's won a Super Bowl, and he's so young. He's got the big deal, but here's where the butt comes in. He had a really sloppy season this year. Lots of turnovers, 13 interceptions, four fumbles lost. That was the sixth most amongst names like Trevor Lawrence and Ryan Tannehill. So some of these average to below average quarterbacks who are still kind of if you're Trevor Lawrence, still kind of figuring out how the NFL works. Trevor Lawrence had a rough go of it with the first coach that he had in Urban Meyer. We all know how that ended. But that just goes to show you, I mean, all that Trevor Lawrence is dealing with as a rookie quarterback, a bad head coach, Ryan Tannehill, not the best quarterback, average, you know, middle-of-the-pack yeah. type of quarterback. Couldn't win with them. But... In an offense where it's run heavy mm-hmm. with Derrick Henry, there's Pat Mahomes with all these names that he should not be mentioned around because he's better than that. But some of these interceptions, some of these throws, some of these decisions, some of these sloppy turnovers make me question how good is Patrick Mahomes? Really, how good is Patrick Mahomes compared to these other quarterbacks? When you think about Patrick Mahomes, yeah, you think about the talent, you think about the throws, but how about we start thinking about the turnovers as well? That's what gets to me. After what I saw this season, some of these throws, some of these decisions, they were just rookie mistakes. And I said it. At some point, it was either on Twitter or it was either in an episode of the Tony G Show where we're questioning the Chiefs. I think it's like week seven, and they're like, what, what was their record, three and four or something yeah, like it was... that? They were really playing not the best. Mm-hmm. And it, was all, it, it wasn't all Pat Mahomes. Forgive me for saying it. It was partly Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. These decisions, these it was like, what is this guy doing? Just lobbing it up. There was one throw I remember, where one game where he threw like three picks in a game uncharacteristic of someone mm-hmm. who we should be mentioning in the top three. And one of them was just so bad that, I mean, audience member 
you know, janitor at Tony G Studios, Tony Christian could make. I mean, it was like, why, why, why is Patrick Mahomes, this MVP level quarterback, the Super Bowl winning quarterback, making decisions like this? And one point I think I want to make, and I've said it a thousand and ten times, but since he has signed that big contract, that team has not been as dominant as they were in their early years. A couple other points to make, too, is that their running game has really not improved since the departure of uh, um, Kareem Hunt. Okay. And I think that Patrick Mahomes is one of those quarterbacks that pairs really well with a good run game. You know, you give him a little bit of play action, it's it's a whole different world for him. And it's the same thing with Rodgers, too. They, you, we've seen years where their run game is non-existent, and that offense, it does not churn well. Here's another point that I kind of want to build off of something you said there, is that, you know, Patrick Mahomes, you might be thinking, how can a guy who's been to four straight AFC championship games, a guy who's got the, you know, MVPs, who's got a Super Bowl ring, who's been to two straight Super Bowls besides this year, before this year, how can he be a top three and not number one? If you don't believe in what I said, you know, with the stats I gave, the turnovers and whatever, okay, that's fair. Listen to me here, though. Part of what makes the Chiefs so good is the offensive design from Andy Reid. You have to remember that. Mm-hmm. The way they use Travis Kelsey, I mean, the guy threw it, the tight end threw a touchdown pass in the postseason. I mean, that's not like something they drew up and we'll try it in preseason and see how it goes. That was a playoff game. Granted, they were up a lot, but it was a playoff game where their tight end threw a touchdown pass. What? How about the versatility of Tyreek Hill, the speed of Tyreek Hill? You get him the ball, and he's going to get you five, seven yards just because he's so quick. Not to mention he'll beat someone going deep on a go route down the sideline. The versatility and the ability in that Kansas City Chief offense I think is something we really have to consider. And You put Patrick Mahomes in it. He's, he's a great quarterback. Don't get me wrong. Top three in the AFC. But leads me to believe who else could succeed in that offense? Practically anybody. With the way that they do things, the motion that they get, I said it. I say it week in and week out, and sometimes it makes Tony G's picks of the week. You know, I'm doing the postseason games. This chief offense is just unbelievable with some of these plays they de- they design. You know, with that little, the the like flip to a skill position player right behind the line of scrimmage, and just finds that weak spot in the defense and just caresses his way through the offensive line into the end zone. And it's like no one even accounted for him because he just got lost in the mix. That's what that offense does is it designs misdirections. It designs plays for practically anybody to get open and practically any quarterback can succeed in that offense. You have to keep that in mind when talking about the ability of Patrick Mahomes. Again, he's a great quarterback. He's one of the best quarterbacks talent-wise that we have seen in the NFL. But when considering who the top three in the AFC are, quarterback-wise, you have to think about the offense that the Kansas City Chiefs run. So let's revisit this and transition. My top three QBs in the AFC, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, in that order. In that order. Joe Burrow, I really like that kid. I buy into him. You know, if I was into buying jerseys, I think I'd buy a Joe Burrow jersey. I'm not into buying jerseys. I never wear them. I have a few at home. I didn't even bring them to college for the last four years because I just never wear jerseys. Joe Burrow, if I was a jersey guy, I'd go buy Joe Burrow's jersey because he is a guy who's going to run this league, run the AFC for the next decade if he stays healthy. 
if that Bengal team can really start to build on that offensive line, continue to impress, or, or excuse me, not impress, well, I guess impress, but continue to press on the importance of building a young roster, Jamar Chase, if practically everybody, Joe Mixon's been around the league for a couple of years now, and he's really impressive. Listen, that's going to be a team that's good for the next decade, and it's Joe Burrow really is going to succeed in that team because he's Joe Burrow. Love that kid. He's number one in the AFC for the next 10 years. Josh Allen, number two, pocket presence. He's really starting to figure out how this game works. The speed is coming to him. I like the Bills to win a Super Bowl, if not next year, then the year after. I say the next two years. One of these next two Super Bowls, 57 or 58, is going to go to the Buffalo Bills. Maybe they'll get there because, you know, they're the Bills, and then they just lose in Super Bowls like they lost in four straight in the 80s. But the point is the Bills are going to be in the Super Bowl one of these next two seasons. And then Pat Mahomes. He's great. He's a great quarterback, but there's that but. He plays in this offense that, I mean, a monkey could run. (laughs) And not to mention the turnovers, the interceptions, the bad decisions, something that I see young young rookie quarterbacks make. Patrick Mahomes, him him doing that? At this point in his career especially. Just can't happen. So that's my top three, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Pat Mahomes. Do you agree or disagree? If you uh, want to let me know, at Tony G Nation on Twitter or at Willis5312 on Twitter at TonyG.com. Let us know what you think. All your opinions are welcome. That's our first segment. Let's move on to our second. A surpri- Like I said, a show filled with surprises. The surprise team that's going to get bounced from the tourney early. You ready for this one? Mm-hmm. I don't think you are. I can, I can read it. Okay. <laughs> it ruins the surprise. I know. I'm sorry. Well, they don't know. Now, you see, Tony G Nation doesn't know. Maybe we just end the show. Okay, that's it. That's it for the Tony G Show. We'll see you next Tuesday. Surprise team got to get bounced from the tourney early. Number two, Gonzaga. They're sitting at 17-2. and two. They have talent all around. Drew Timmy is one of the best players in college basketball. Don't get me wrong. It's a great basketball team. But when you think of why teams get bounced, I remember from a few years ago when I was still – in high school, I want to say freshman, sophomore year in high school for me, was the year that Michigan State got bounced in the first round. And you went, holy cow, this was a top-ranked team all season long, one of the best basketball teams, and they it just happened. where They got bounced in the first round, and that team that nobody expected to win a game came in and beat Michigan State, beat the upper echelon of college basketball. Why did Michigan State lose that game? Because they overlooked their opponent, because they weren't, as battle-tested as other teams were that were in that tourney that ended up winning the championship. And you think about Michigan State and their ability to just show up in a game. I don't see that with Gonzaga. Maybe I should rephrase that. I see that with Gonzaga in the fact that seeing them show up for a game that they're expected to win, everybody just wipes. I don't see that with them. Right. Okay. Here, Let me expand on this. The most telling stat to me for Gonzaga, and this is a bit abstract. I'm not going to go too deep into how they play. You know, they're a team that can shoot the three. They're a team that can absolutely dominate inside. A couple of seven-foot lurches running around on the court. Yeah, it's a great and talented team. So I'm not going to get too far into how they play because we all know how they play. The most telling stat to me is that they're 13-0 and at home, winning where they're supposed to, and they're just 1-0 and on the road. All those other wins are and losses are neutral site. So they were just 1-0 on the road. Keep in mind, they did have many cancellations due to COVID, just like everybody did. They had a couple games get lost in the mix. They lost 
and by lost a game, I mean they didn't play a game against Washington that would have been a good game. They didn't go to San Diego. They didn't go to LMU. But there's my argument right there. They're 1-0 on the road. You know how college basketball is on the road? Wisconsin yeah. just went to Illinois last night and got completely schlacked because mm-hmm. it was on the road in Illinois. It's a completely different environment. Absolutely. And even if they did get some of these games played because of COVID, where would they have gone? San Diego. LMU. I mean, it's who is the, the lost to Duke? Granted, that was a at at Duke neutral site type of deal. They're not battle tested. They get bounced by Duke. That was a pretty good game, but Duke won 84-81. And the rest of their games, I mean, look at Gonzaga pounding Central Michigan. Gonzaga beating Memor- Merrimack. I never even heard of them. Powerhouse. Powerhouse. Gonzaga beating Texas Tech. Okay, that was actually pretty impressive. Yeah. Gonzaga pounding Northern Arizona. We're getting into January. They're beating BYU. They're on the road beating Santa Clara. They're beating San Francisco. Now it's almost February, and they're beating Portland. Who has this team played? <laughs> the best game on their schedule was a three-point loss to Duke. This team is not battle-tested. Once it, It's a different type of game once it, once it gets to tournament time, and this is a team that has experience getting deep into the tournament. But that... To me, to me, that only makes my argument, the fact that Gonzaga thinks that they're just going to walk in and wipe the floor with anybody. Now, they could probably play anybody in that first two rounds. You know, say they get to the round of 32 and they're going to play some Liberty or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, American Samoa or whoever they're going to play. And they're going to wipe the floor with them, sure. But then they're going to get to the Sweet 16, and they're going to start playing teams that are better than this. They might win a game there. Say they get to the Elite Eight, and they're going to start playing the eight best Listen, I don't think they're going to get to the Elite Eight. I argue oh. they're not even going to get. They're not even going to get to the round of sixteen, the Sweet okay. Sixteen. So they're you, going to get bounced in that round of thirty-two, where they're going to play that team that they're overlooking. That they're, I mean, it's just not. They're not going to shoot well. They're not going to play well, and the other team's going to come in and wipe the floor with them. So what you're saying, Elite Eight is early for Gonzaga. Just just as a, you think it's you know round of thirty-two they're going to get no, they're going to get bounced. But see, I don't want to. I, I don't want to water down my take here right i say they're going to get bounced in the first two rounds okay round of 64 round yeah. of 32 as an upset a game yeah. they're probably going to win i could you know i'm not saying this team's not going to go to the final four they could mm-hmm. i don't see them doing that because they're not battle tested because they're going to get into tournament time and they're going to forget who they are they're going to forget playing basketball the way that they know how it really is going to get bounced early yeah. i can see it already happening. it really depends on like how they prepare for the game. And, and just like you said, if they look too far beyond their noses and don't focus on, you know, the task at hand at winning that game and just that on the on road environment, I know it's March madness is technically neutral zone or neutral. Uh, um, yeah. There's, there's site. some, there's a possibility that they could, I, I don't know. Right. But I the fact is they're not going to be um, definitive home games. And that does play a major factor in um, crowd noise can be, something that really sways the game another team and this is kind of a a side note here but we got some time and i do want to mention this i was thinking should i make the argument for gonzaga or baylor i could make the argument for both and i you know i got the time i'm gonna do that actually baylor is another team that i could see getting bounced early yeah they're not really impressive they're ranked eighth but some of their losses to me are the most questionable losses of the entire season now granted they lost to texas tech but that was at home that was a close game but they lost at home Mm mm-hmm can't be doing that. They lost to who is who is their other loss here that I'm thinking of? The Alabama loss. Okay, they go to Alabama and they lose there. 
But that was a game they lost by more than double digits. That was an 11-point loss. Correction, about a 10-point loss, where Alabama absolutely showed Baylor how physical they can be, showed Baylor how if they don't shoot the way that they need to be shooting, if they don't get that open shot, then they're not the most impressive team. Gonzaga and Baylor, to me, are the two frauds in this top 10 in college <laughs> in the college basketball ranking. You like that? Yeah. Who's your sleeper then? Or oh, is that, is that too off the Well, too off nothing, the point? Well, do you know who I am? No, I mean... Do you know who I am? The sleeper to me... I mean to put you on the spot. What, what do you mean by sleeper? Should I just pick a team out of the top 25 that I could see making a run yeah, to the final four? I mean, or should I pick like top 15, top 10? Yeah, I'm, like, what, I'm, what, what are you saying when you say sleeper? Sleeper is in like not getting as much love as they should right now. Providence. 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 Why is that? They have impressive wins on their resume as well. They're ranked 15. I could easily, easily see them after this next week. Wisconsin's had a loss. I could easily see them being bumped up to the top 12. Yeah. Maybe top 10. Mm-hmm. One of those teams that kind of makes a, a long tournament push yes. further than they're expected. They're on a six-game win streak right now, too, yeah. by the way. They beat Villanova. Or, excuse me, not beat Villanova. They beat uh, Wisconsin. I'm looking at ahead to their schedule. They're playing Villanova soon. They got two games Ooh, against Villanova. That's a big one. Those would be two team. good games. Uh, Tuesday the 15th. I can't wait to watch that one. Beat Marquette, who, beat Marquette, who is red hot right now. They beat Wisconsin in Wisconsin. Granted, Johnny Davis didn't play that game. They beat Texas Tech. I mean, some of their wins. I mean, you compare the schedules of Gonzaga to Providence. Who has the more impressive schedule? Providence by a mile. All right? It's not even close. There's no there's no SMU on this schedule. Granted, it's a different conference, and they're playing teams like Rhode Island and Central Illinois, whatever. <laughs> I get that. But argument stands here that they're more battle-tested. I could see this team making a push to a Final Four. I honestly could. And I don't think I'm too outlandish for saying that, for making these arguments. I really do feel in my heart that Gonzaga could get bounced early, round of 32 type stuff. I could see Baylor making it Sweet 16 and getting bounced, but I could easily see them getting bounced earlier. I'm going to make the prediction that Baylor doesn't make it to the Elite Eight. I'm not going to make that prediction for Gonzaga because I could see them winning, a, you know, going all the way to the Final Four or something like that, maybe making a championship. But I really yeah, do not see faith. Baylor doing that. Some of the games they've lost. But Providence has really impressed me. They're a team that's getting ranked and credited about the middle of the pack because they're Providence. But look at some of their wins. That Texas Tech one really speaks out to me. Mm-hmm. Those and, and those are all games that just build that toughness. Oh yeah, you know to to bring you a, a playoff push. Being battle tested is one of the most important things in college basketball, especially on the road. You know, Mike Shashevsky knows that, but he didn't. You know, you know how Mike Shashevsky is. Here's the point: <laughs> when you go on the road in college basketball, you play some of these teams, you play in a tournament. It's a different atmosphere. You got to pick up your level of play because you know everyone on the court is going to, including your opponent. That's something I think Providence does. I think if Providence gets Providence gets into their games in the tourney and start setting the tone, hitting some of their threes early like they have been to win some of these games, I think Providence could really make a run to an, an Elite Eight Final Four. I could I could easily see Providence playing in a Final Four as that team that gets in that nobody really credited as getting that far. Mm-hmm. And but, then they get pounded in the Final Four. <laughs> <laughs> but they get there and lose by th- No, but they they play as clean as they know they can, and they get to their – they yeah. reach their highest potential. What do you think about that, Will? I like it. Okay. I think – I'm glad you like it, because if you didn't, you'd get fired. <laughs> we'll wrap it up here uh, with another surprise team. 
that I want to mention, this third and final segment, the most dangerous team in college football next season. Not Alabama. Not the national champion Georgia Bulldogs. Not USC, who, by the way, spend a second on them, just picked up Lincoln Riley as a head coach a few months ago. And just a couple days ago, picked up Caleb Williams, the transfer who Lincoln Riley coached for, who Caleb Williams played for at Oklahoma. Caleb Williams entered the transfer portal, broke all of Badger Fran's hearts by teasing that he was going to go to Wisconsin, (laughs) visited, and really gave out the sense. I mean, there was reports every day that this kid is for real looking at Wisconsin as an option. And then the predictable happened. And he went to USC. Our buddy Jason Finder says it all the time. This world is predictable if nothing else. <laughs> you, that means you can have all the reports you want floating around. You can have all the visits. But we all know your final decision. Don't tease me, pal. Just pick your USC and get out of here. <laughs> Don't sit here and tell me, oh, I'm thinking about Wisconsin. No. At USC is going to be an average team anyways. Don't be too worried, Tony. See, I don't know that they're going to be average. Yeah, they are. <laughs> USC yeah, they hasn't are. done anything in 10 years. Well... It's just it's just going to be a building period for Lincoln Riley. I mean, yeah. it's going to take a couple of years. It just always twenty does. maybe <laughs> before See, he gets now, booted. Now you're doing the Tom Brady thing where you're like throwing out the bits of information of like yeah, it could happen, but he's not like a you're throwing uh, out the takes left and right. I don't know. I it's think it's got to take a couple of years. He's no, got to he's yeah, got to get yeah. his recruiting class yeah. in there. I mean, they have Heisman contender Caleb Williams in there, so they're going to be all right. I don't know if they're going to win the conference. He he faked the southern accent, right? Lincoln Riley? <laughs> no, that was uh, Was that somebody Brian, else? That was oh, Brian Kelly. That was Brian Kelly. Okay, in LSU. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. My All right. family. All right. Anyways, <laughs> it's not USC, it's not Georgia, it's not Alabama. And when I say the most dangerous team in college football next season, we're talking top 7 wins. <laughs> yeah. I say that, I'll admit. You know, I'll admit when I'm trying to fish for you to listen, this is one of those times. I'm not, I swear to God, I was not, I'm not fishing for you to listen when I say that Gonzaga or Baylor thing, but this one is like a, you know, that's why I put it as the last segment because I know they don't, they're not going to be a, they're not going to be a team that plays. You're already stepping back on your, let's, let's just hear it. Tell okay, me. You're already listen, going back on yourself. I just want, I just want to get ready for it. Keep that credibility because I'm not saying they're going to win a national championship. They could. I'm not saying they're going to be, they're a mid-major school, so they don't have that type of ability to get there. Mm-hmm. But if they're the most dangerous team. You're out. <laughs> Let's hear it, Tony. You're out. Jackson State University, mid-major in the Southwest Athletics Conference. Deion Classic Sanders name. is their head coach. Listen to some of this D1 talent that they have going there. I mean, they have they have uh, top commits from Travis Hunter, uh, Tavion Be- Beasley, Christian Henderson, not to mention some of these transfers that they're getting. I looked at this. Uh, Antonio Doyle from Texas A&M. True Thompson from Florida State. Kavion Mullins from South Carolina. Josh is that an R? Yeah. Josh Griffiths from Florida State. Mark Pope from Miami. They're really starting to get some D1 talent to this program. Some talent, some skill, and some ability to Jackson State, not to mention to play for Deion Sanders. A team in Jackson State, the Tigers. I might get to, I gotta get some Jackson State merch up in here. Maybe a hoodie or something like that. Are you talking? We're talking this year dominant, right? Yeah. Okay. They were eleven and two last season, eight and zero in conference. 
Number one defense in the conference last season. This is a building team who's getting D1 commits, who is only getting better. Uh, Deion Sanders, most dangerous team. I don't, you know, they're not going to win a national championship. Yeah. Mid major. Mid majors just don't do that. But they're getting some serious D1 talent. Do you think Deion's going to stay there long term, or do you think he's out after one year? You know, and he's going to go to like Florida, Florida State. I read an interesting article in, in doing research, and it, it just kind of, you know, I was. I heard Jackson State got another commit, and I was like, I should talk about this on the show. But I thought, how can I do this in a way that's entertaining? Jackson State and Deion Sanders, I saw one article, and I forget who it was by, so I can't, I can't uh, credit it. But it said that they thought Deion Sanders would be the next coach who just kind of goes there for a season and, and then just kind of gets his experience gets his experience and hits the bricks. Mm-hmm. Because that's what I kind of imagine it to play out right now. But I don't. I do not see that. Hmm. You know why? Because he's spending so much of his time and resources and his energy recruiting like he is, getting players from all over the country to transfer, but getting number one recruits, five star, top recruits in the country to commit there over places well, like Alabama, over places like okay. Ohio State, over places like Georgia. But what about on the flip side? I mean, you could go to a school and be like, look at all these people I got to come to Jackson State University. Okay, he can put me in like Florida State. I'll pull. I'll pull a uh, natty team together right away. But he's Deion Sanders. He could have done that without the Jackson State step. He's going there because he wants to. I mean, he is he a good coach? Number one defense. I'd say he's coaching pretty well. Number one defense in in the conference last. This year. is his second season as a coach. Uh, twenty twenty September of twenty twenty was his first year. Okay, so they had that COVID deal, oh, and then they had last yeah. year. So he's heading into his third. Third. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I guess yeah. My, I kind of would figure two years tops, and he would would have been out. So okay. he's already kind of beating my expectations. But I don't, uh, uh, I don't know. We'll see. see uh, he w- he never had the had to have the Jackson State step. Yeah, that's true. He could have went there right, went to wherever he wanted. I don't say he'd have to go to like a. He could have went to like a. You know, you don't start as a head coach at Ohio State. You of course have to could. build your way up there. Yeah. But he the way he's recruiting at Jackson State and really building a program of success. Shows me he's hungry for winning. Shows me he's hungry for Jackson State being a Tiger. Shows me he's not hungry to go to that next level. And that recruiting class might be a product of people being like, okay, he's actually going to stay here. Because I'm sure a lot of players, I mean, how scary would that be? You pick up your whole life and you move to go play for Jackson State because Deion Sanders is there, which is a massive resource to have as a young athlete. And then he's gone after a year. It happens all the time. Think about everybody who committed to play it. Oklahoma for Lincoln Riley. Yeah. And now he up and moved to USC. And no one can fault him. I mean, it's his decision. It's his family. It's his, you know, whatever he's pursuing when he makes that switch to Oklahoma to USC. So no one can fault him for that. But it happens all the time. I was, even myself, even as a Division three athlete, would have been a below average to average D3 athlete, committed oh, to go on, to a no. school to play, B, to play baseball. Mm-hmm. The assistant coach who recruited me and the head coach both by the time that I ended up coming to St. Norbert, were out. <laughs> Not out as in fire. They took different positions and they did this. I think the yep. head coach went and became a professor or something like that at a different – it's like it's, right. just, it's different at D3 than D1, but it happens all the time. Yeah, Coaches tell players that they're going to you know, be there for a while and then they get an opportunity that they just can't pass up. It's interesting how Matt Rule did it out in Baylor because there were some articles or some things that I heard that he recruited players – by aforementioning that if I get an opportunity in the NFL, I'm going to take it. So I don't want to sit here and tell you that I'm going to be here for the next 10 years. Which 
I I would appreciate honesty too. It's like okay. I would too, but it, you know, it, bad business if you think about it. Yeah, I don't know. College football is really interesting because there's really f- there's a few amount of coaches that really stick with the team for you know ten plus years. I think once you know, I really if you get hired by your alumni school, yeah, then you're probably going to be there for the long run yeah. until you get fired until you retire. Paul, Paul Chris is going to be in Wisconsin through 2027 now with the new deal he just got. I mean, Harbaugh almost left, but Harbaugh almost left. He didn't. He, he didn't. <laughs> that was more of a, <laughs> like I said that Harbaugh almost left. He didn't. <laughs> That's true. But, you know, he flirted with the NFL, another NFL job, and mm-hmm. and he wanted to stay with Michigan probably just to raise up the price that he could resign for. But once you get to your alumni school, you're really, you're really there for the long haul. You've got it made. You've got it made. So with that being said, had a good Tony G show. Yeah. No, I, my promise to Tony G Nation, this episode is going to be without throat clears <laughs> or anything Stupid like that. We had no vacuum in the background this time either. Oh my gosh, that happens at least Every once time. a Tuesday show. At least once a week. We get like we... ten minutes in, <sighs> and it's never beforehand. It's never right when Will shows up. Nope. It's always when we start recording. We bring it out from the intro, and we start to get some momentum in that first segment. The cleaning lady turns on the the not janitor. A, Christian any, turns uh... on the the vacuum. <laughs> Total chance. Total. No, we did good today. It was yeah, a good episode. Fun. I mean, usually, and just a quick note before we wrap this up, too. Usually, it takes us a while to get in our groove when we start seasons. Last two or three seasons, I think we've really sat down and really got going with yeah. some momentum to start a season. I remember, like, first, like, season, Five. I guess it would have been your season two, my first season with you. Oh, we no. would, like, have to, like, take music breaks in the middle. <laughs> remember that? We'd be like, okay, we got we to gotta recollect ourselves. Yeah. Well... Because we were live, you know. That's so wild to me that we were live at one point. Right? I, I just can't imagine doing a live Tony G show anymore. <laughs> like, I, I can't even fathom it. That just doesn't even entice it's me. It's the good old days. Do we have those That's... recorded? Hmm? You have those recorded still and saved? You should, like, release some as, like, specials. Uh, I, I do have season... I have as far back as season three records, re- records, Ooh. I think. Those were live. You have to yeah, find... You have to find yeah, you'll have to find stuff that's irrelevant, though. <laughs> Hey, Will, you remember when you, I don't know. Yeah. Said something stupid like you. You cut my mic off. (laughs) Oh, I remember that. Muting you. I'd go off the script and you'd be so mad. You would say something that I would just be like, all right. You'd be like, baseball sucks. And I'd shut your microphone off. Fun times. Good times. Good times. All coming to an end. As Troy says in that. uh, Crashing down. (laughs) With a thud. The Tony G show is over. As Troy says in that open. Fun sports and memories all coming to an end. We are 23 episodes away from wrapping up season 8 and the Tony G Show as we know it. That's Will McCormick. I'm Tony G. Another good episode of the Tony G Show. Have a good weekend, pal. You too. See you next week. Yeah. Don't forget Tony G Show interviews coming up. More on TonyGNation.com. Look us up. It's the Tony G Show. <laughs>